as we finish up this series, Beyond Blessed. And I, I can tell you I have been blessed by the testimonies that have come in in the, sh- the four short weeks that we've been doing this message series. And so I want to thank all of you for your obedience and watching God move. You're doing your part and then watching God move on your behalf. And so that's a, been a really beautiful thing for me. And I'll share some of the testimonies, but I'm going to leave some of it open for the people to share their own testimonies in their time. And so you want to be encouraged. Testimony is very important because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so it's all his testimony, and really it's all just as we make little adjustments to, to align in obedience according to his word, he just blesses that. So really it's his testimony, and we finally decided to come under his word and be obedient is really all it is. That's where testimony even comes from. So let me say this thing before we get started. We're talking about uh, living beyond blessed, and that's not just me being a blessing, me being a blessing so that I can be a blessing. It's more, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That's, that's been, as you grow in maturity and as you come into adulthood in the kingdom of God, you start to realize those things. And so what we're not talking about, because I know, I know a lot of people who struggle financially, but then they're, they're not really good stewards with, with their finances. But I know a lot of people who have a lot of wealth, but they're still not good stewards when it comes to finances. And so it's not about how much you make. It's really how much you understand this idea of who's the owner and who's the steward. It really comes down to those key concepts. So we're actually talking about the 10 financial commandments, but we wanna, I want to show you how they actually line up with the Ten Commandments that God has given us. So say, okay, so the Ten Commandments Moses, Moses got on the mountain and, and around 1500 B.C. Now, most of us don't know this, but that was actually Pentecost. That was Pentecost. And so we know of Pentecost 1,533 years later, so to speak, when we hear Pentecost, and that's when the Holy Spirit fell. Well, that is true. That's exactly what happened. So the law came, and we couldn't live according to the law, and so God was showing us, listen, you can't do this without me. Well, it took a long time for him to get that. And then the Holy Spirit came and empowered believers. And so when we got the empowerment, we, we were able, we were empowered with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we were empowered to actually live above the law. You got to think about it. Jesus never, grace, a lot of people lean on this where I'm under grace and not under the law. Absolutely you are, and grace empowers us. Jesus never said that it's okay now to murder because you're under grace, did he? No, he said, if you have anything against your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. Wow, you don't even have to do the physical act. Now it's just an act that's in your heart. He said, you can't, he didn't say you can now commit adultery because you're under grace, did he? No, he did not, even to the adulterous woman before he went to the cross. What he did say, though, is if you've even looked at a, you can say a woman or a man with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And so he started to raise the principles a little bit, the standards, but the empowerment of the Holy Spirit actually allows us to live above the law. And so when you live above the law, when you live according to the Word of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the law can't touch you anyway. So you don't have to subject yourself back under it. So we're talking about the 10, you need to know that because of what the series we're going into next. That's my, that's my prelude into that. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and you need to know about the Holy Spirit because you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you don't have it already. And we're going to help you get it next, next series all throughout December because it's all about the real gifts or the gifts that God gives. All right, so here we go. Number one, we've got to put God first. We've talked a little bit about tithing and giving, and obviously that means to put God first. And, and this obviously ties in with the first commandment we find in Exodus 20, verse 3. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. <clears throat> but I want to show you a story in 1 Kings 17. 
And it's a story of Elijah and the widow. Many of you know it, but there was a, there was a famine of three years and six months. So God sends Elijah to a, young, a widow who had a son, and here's the story in verse 10 of 1 Kings 17. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he, Elijah, called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, uh, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks <clears throat> that I may go, and, go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. She had a lot of hope, right? And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But just like a pastor who had just got through fasting, he says, but make me a small cake first. I want you to get this. But go and make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And in fact, it happened as exactly as Elijah said, according to the Lord. He did that. It was a miracle. In fact, it was a miracle because she put God first. I want you to see this principle that's in this story right here. And many of us think, uh, many think about this. Uh, there was a famine in the land. There's a widow. And they think, why didn't God send Elijah to a rich person? Well, many of us think that God sent Elijah to her so that he, sorry, so that she could provide for Elijah, right? Think, well, he's, he's been in this bad situation. God's going to send Elijah so that he can provide for, for, so that she can provide for Elijah. No, God sent Elijah to her so that God could provide for the woman, the widow. There's a, there's a shift in our perspective we have to gain to understand. You people think God wants me to tithe so that the church can be taken care of. No, God wants you to tithe so that you can be taken care of. God wants to take care of you, but you have to release it out of your hand so that you can show that you trust him in faith and in obedience. Because God doesn't need your money. Uh, I have a story, actually, from this week, and Allie gave it. Uh, she went to the Save-A-Lot, and there was a lady in front of her. Now, if you heard her testimony months ago, she, she struggled because God put it on her heart to bless a lady that was in front of her who had like seven different credit cards or six different credit cards she was trying to just pay for her, her groceries with, and, and she missed it. And so it just broke her all week, and, and since she's just been broken over that. So, you know, that, what the cool thing about God is Grace says, I'm going to give you another chance to, to get on this on-ramp right here. So this week... That lady was in front of her, and uh, she had a lot of masa and things for tamales, and so, uh, you know, that really pulled at Allie's heart, and so, and so she, she didn't have her checkbook. She didn't, she didn't have a way to pay, and she was getting all nervous, and Allie's right behind her. She goes, hey, listen, don't worry. I'm going to pay for it, and the lady was ever so thankful, and they had a dialogue and talked about it, but what really was cool is whenever it was Allie's turn to go and pay for her own food, the, the cashier had a tear coming down her eye, and she says, you wouldn't believe how many times I get to see this. Here's the next statement. You wouldn't believe how many times I get to see God use people to bless others. It's amazing the cashier knew who to give the glory to. Not to the person, but to the God who's using the person and working through the person. It's the same story as Elijah and the widow. So the widow had one meal left. The son had terminal disease and, and dies months later. Wow, well, what happened? Elijah ends up raising her from the dead 
And it's not just so God can provide for her financially. you got to see this. She gives first. It's not just so he can provide for her financially, but it's about your family. Your whole family starts to come together. When you put God first, it's your whole family that he's concerned about. It's more than just your finances come into order. Your family starts to come into order. God is concerned about your family. But you gotta, we, God must not just be first. He must be first in all things. You got to get this, because a lot of times we do, and, I, and I've even taught this, and, but God's giving me a new perspective on it. Sometimes we put God first. We say, I got to put God first, and then I got to put my spouse first, I mean, second, and then my kids third, and then ministry fourth, or they work with, between that work and, and ministry, and then they do work last. But let me tell you some of the new perspective, because here's the problem with that. We do a checkbox for God, then we do a checkbox for spouse, then we do a checkbox for kids, then we do a checkbox for ministry, and then we do a checkbox for work. If God's going to be first, he's got to be first in everything. So even when I'm, when I'm loving and leading my spouse, it's got to be led towards God and God's way. When I'm loving and leading my kids, it's got to be leading them towards God. When I'm loving and living my ministry out and serving it, it's got to be from God back towards God. When I'm living out my work life, it's got to be for God, from God, and through God, and leading others in the, an example of coming back to God. So if God is going to be first and first in all things, then God's, everything that we do must be pointing people back to God, no matter what the section or the category is, but we miss that. I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. We think we put God first because we did some devotion time, but God's not first in everything that we do. And that's where we have problems. So he wants to be first. So number two is don't worship material things. Second commandment is Exodus 20, verse 4. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. Sometimes I think, well, I've got a carved image that I carry around in my pocket all the time, right? It's molded and it's been carved and we'll bow down to it all day long, right? Uh, you, you think I'm joking, but it's really the truth. A carved image is an, is an idol. It's an, and an idol is anything that we put before God. Now think about this. If you've, have you ever bought anything, any material thing? Well, have you ever put it before God? Of course you have. And I'm going to show you how. Have you ever regretted something, re regretted buying something? You're like, man, I, knew, I don't know if I should have done that. You have that buyer's remorse, they call it. Have you ever done that? Well, you may be tithing. Let me, let me tell you, you may be tithing, but in this series, we're talking about good stewardship, and that actually means praying over the purchases that you make, especially the large purchases. And for some, a large purchase may be $25 purchase. Others, it may be $50,000. Maybe it's a $5,000. It's a large purchase. It's all, it's all in proportion to what God, the talent that God has given you according to your ability. But it's praying to the Lord saying, do I really need this? Is this something that you want from me? And when you do that, there is no remorse that follows because you know you've honored God in the decision that you've made and you know it's his decision for you. And you know that he's providing that for you and he'll provide everything else that you need. So, so, he is, so this is how the material thing can actually become an idol. So don't worship material things, all right? doesn't have to be carved. It can be molded these days. Number three, don't use God's name selfishly. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, what do you think of a person when you think about vain? You think about maybe conceited or a prideful person, but actually the word vain here really means selfishly. 
Don't use the Lord your God's name selfishly. Yes, I, I don't believe that we should use profanity. Uh, I don't think that we should use his God, the God's name in vain as we most culturally understand it. In fact, my, my grandfather decades ago had an oil field business, and the one thing that they couldn't do is use God's name in vain under the, the context of using certain wording that we all know to be used as God's name in vain. But it actually means selfishly. Let me give you an example. Praying, sorry, praying for material things in Jesus' name rather than spiritual things in Jesus' name. Scripture says you pray and you're not going to get it because you want to use it for selfish gain, for yourself. You, you want those things so that you can have it just for yourself. It's okay to pray for needs. Don't get me wrong. It's okay to pray for needs. God wants that. Jesus taught us to. He taught us to come to him for our needs, right? He said, give us this day our daily bread. That's a prayer. That's a method, a model of which he told us to pray. Got that. And it's okay to pray for wants and desires. It really is. It really is. But there's a line. It, it, it's not okay. It becomes vain when it crosses that line of now it's just for me selfishly. Just because I want more. And here's the difference. Am I going to use this thing to bring glory to God? Or am I going to use it to serve his people? Or am I going to use it because I can somehow use this thing to bring attention back to God and, and use it for his purposes and his glory? Can I use this thing? Can I use my home to serve others? Can I use my car to serve others? Can I use my, my talent? Can, I, can, can Kevin use those drumsticks to serve others? Absolutely he can. It's no longer about selfish gain and more, all my wants. I, I think God is okay with you having an actual color TV so that you can see the Dallas Cowboys playing. <laughs> By the way, I'm glad you came last week at 9 a.m. so you could catch the 12 p.m. game. I, I, now I figured it out. I know exactly why y'all came so early last week. <laughs> But for a year, let me tell you a personal story. For a year, back in 2014, 2015, the, the, the diesel prices were like $4 a gallon. Anybody remember that? And I had a diesel, and I, I loved that diesel. It was something that I bought for myself, a new, brand-new truck, 2500 Dodge. I mean, it was clean, had the Frontier bumper on the front and on the back, and, I mean, it was nice. Oversized tires, I mean, I was doing it. And, and, I, and I bought that sale for myself. I bought it for myself in a difficult time, like, yay, look what I did for me. Ten years later, here it is, I'm married now, and I'm the only one working, and, and we're working off a budget, Mr. Envelope System, and, and the Lord's putting it on my heart. It's time for you to sell that truck. It's time for you to sell, sell that truck. It's time to buy a Prius. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. You know that ain't God. But when he doesn't give up for a year, and you can slowly see yourself in more debt, it might be God wanting to get you out of debt and become a good steward. But my pride wouldn't let me. My pride wouldn't let me. There's no way I can go from this monster truck to a, a go-kart. And there's no way I can do it <laughs> until, until I started feeling the burdens of debt come on, and it wasn't stopping, and there was no green, in the, and there was no blue skies or green lights in the end of this thing, unless I did some changes, made some shifts. So I did. At the end of that year, whichever it was, I, I put it up for sale, and I, I sold it. I found a, been, Allie and I looked, spent months looking for the right Prius, and and we did. We found the deal. That was, it was $1,500 less than most. Uh, it's amazing. You just you search it out, God brings it. You start doing it with stewardship. And so we did. And we got that car. And then right off the bat, it started saving us $240 a month just in fuel. So man, we're, now we're starting to get in the black. Not only did I do that, pay cash for the, free, the Prius, but I paid off all of our debt with the, with the difference that I had on the, on the truck that I sold. Okay, this sounds like it might be God teaching us how to do some good stewardship principles. And then ever since then, of course, you start feeling joy. We actually loved that little car because it was starting to get us in the, in the black rather than the red, and we started making some money. And so that joy started coming back inside of us, and we loved that little car. It, it, it served us well. 
And I believe it was exactly what God wanted us to do, even though I, can, I, I, I accused him of being Satan. He, so be a good steward. Number four, be a good steward. Exodus 20, verse 8 and 9. Remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath <laughs> to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. So let me tell, tell you how this relates to being a good steward. God is telling you how to steward both time and energy and it reflects the finances. He's telling you how to steward time and energy. So six days, work hard. But on that seventh day, one day a week, you just choose it and you commit that this is going to be a holy day. This is a day I'm going to do nothing. I'm not even going to think about work. I'm going to do it his way according to what he says, not under the law, but in relationship with him. I'm going to spend time with him. And if you don't, but the reason is God can do more in six days through you than you can do in seven days. I promise you. And you will feel more accomplished. And if you don't know how much God can do in six days, just read Genesis 1. He can get some stuff done. And he showed us this principle of rest because he rested. There's blessings. You got Isaiah 58, 13. Write that down. Go look at that and see what God will do if you call his day holy. Tithing is believing that God can do more with the 90% that's blessed than you can do with 100% that doesn't have his hand of blessing on it. That's what tithing does for you, and it actually un- releases his hand to be a blessing upon you. You want God's presence on everything that you do. You want, it, you want his presence on your finances, I promise you. All good stewards do these three things. They spend wisely, they save diligently, and they give generously. They spend wisely, they save diligently, but they give generously. All, all good stewards do these three things. And if you're not doing these three things, you're not being a good steward of what God has given you. And you may not understand why you even have what it is that you have. 2007, it was right before the housing bubble popped. I had bought a home in the early 2000s before then. And the price, you know, housing prices went up and they were just giving money to buy a house. They were just giving money to anybody to buy a house. And the value of our home, the, my home that I was living in, was in North Longview. And so everything started moving towards North Longview in the time that we owned our home. And it almost doubled in value. Wonderful. This, this, that's really good news. Well, I sold my house right before the housing bubble uh, popped. And, and I came out pretty clean. I, I got six figures, young man walking around. I'm doing pretty good financially. How God put it on my heart to tie. I was a baby Christian at that time. I'm telling you, baby. Very fleshly. It was all about me. And I was wrestling, and I started debating with God about tithing from that, that six figures that I got. Well, that's a lot of money. Do I do it, do it here? Do I do it there? What do I do? Because I'm moving to Austin. I'm transitioning. I'm, I'm leaving town. I'm out of here. Can't, can't stay in this environment anymore. It's, it's not healthy for me, even though, since I'm a baby Christian. So I do. I wrestle with God. I don't tithe. In that time, I got robbed of $8,000. <laughs> I spent thousands of dollars spending money, taking trips, trying to fill a hole that was in my soul that, from hurts that I had, I, had, I had experienced that I didn't know the hole was there, and I haven't yielded that area of my heart yet to the Lord. I was growing, a baby Christian. Thousands of dollars I wasted, and looking back, I wish I would have handled that, I would have stewarded that money a little bit differently. Now, fast forward a few years, I'm in full-time ministry. By the way, as soon as you become a believer, you're in ministry full-time. There you go. Time to start ministering, saints. 
So I was in paid full-time ministry on staff at a church, and there's a, a store, a friend that I had made. He had just come to town about a year prior, and uh, he had a personal business he could do out of his home. And he comes to me and says, Pastor Nathan, man, I, we've been looking for a year for a home, and we just can't find the right place. I kneel down. I remember the whole situation. I tell him, here's my story. And I remember when I sold a home, and here's, the Lord put it on my heart to tithe, and here's what happened when I didn't. I said, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just telling you what my experience was and what I wish I would have done if I had to do it over again, what I would do. Three weeks later, he comes to me. He says, Pastor Nathan, I did what we talked about. And I said, what did we talk about? He said, I actually tithed off selling the home that we had a year ago from the state that we were in. And I'm closing on a home that's the right size for our family now, the right size yard, and it has a shop in the back so I can get my, my business kicked off. Hallelujah. I don't know how that works, except for God's hand was released as soon as he took obedience and began to show God that he is, he is humbling. He is humbling himself before him. He's saying, God, this is yours. I'm going to do it your way. Now let me fast forward four more years. I, I saw him again at a funeral that I was at just a few weeks ago. And it was on my heart because I knew we were in this series, thinking this series, about to preach the next day. And I said, how's, how's your business doing? How's everything been since you lived in your home? He goes, man, it's flourished. I've been able to work out not only out of my shop, but now, now the people know about it in Tyler, in uh, the, the lake, lake uh, uh, Cedar Creek Lake over there. He goes, I have done hundreds of jobs outside of my, outside of my own shop, but I, and during the winter I'm able to work in my shop and it's just flourished. Well, Hallelujah. He released God's hand by being obedient in the tithe. Not that he had to, but it was out of obedience and faith because of what things that, that he wanted to trust God in. And then God began to make that thing flourish. Teach, teach, number five, teach your children. Teach your children. Teach your children about money and God. Exodus twenty twelve, Honor your father and mother. And why did God want, why did God want children to honor their mother and father? Because that's where they would learn about God. Your children are learning about God and money from you. Everything that you do, whether you like it or not, is pointing your children in some direction, and they're learning about God and money by all of our actions as a parent, all of our words as a parent, all of our behaviors in any situation that has to do with God or has to do with money as a parent. Everything is pointing them one direction. The way you talk about money and handle money, the way you give to the church, if you say things like, we just need more money, or if we had more money, everything would be okay, which you're actually teaching your kids, to, you're actually teaching them to serve money. Instead of coming over here and say, well, let's just pray about this and let's, let's, let's do what God's word says and let's be obedient to him and let's watch him work. Let's steward well what he's been given us. We don't do that. We come over here and say, well, we need more money. We need to do something to make more money. We need more money. If we just had more money, everything would be okay. You see the God that they begin, we begin to point our children to as we begin to talk about one rather than leaning on the other. We start to pursue another and leaving another behind because Jesus says something very specific about this. Even our church attendance rhythms are teaching your children about how important you believe God is. We don't need that. I know his word says to come in and not forsake the assembling of one another and, and worship with one another. You don't need that. It's showing our children what we really believe in our hearts, and they are going to lead the example that we, we show them. 
They're going to be the next leaders of the next generation, and we're going to wonder why it is that they do the things that they do or don't do the things that they do. We're the example. We're the teachers. We're the leaders in all of this thing. Jesus said this, Exodus 16, 13, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. We, if we just had more money, everything would be okay. You know what? Why don't we just pray about this and do, God, do things God's way, start stewarding what he's given us his way, and watch him bless us. If we could just, just have more money, well you, he says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Which one are you teaching your kids to serve? Your children are learning from how you talk about God and how you talk about money. And here's the sad thing. You might be teaching your kids to despise money, sorry, despise God by the way you talk about money. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Number six, live on a budget. It goes along, uh, in my opinion, with, with Sixth Commandment. Exodus 20, 13, thou you shall not murder. And here's the deal on that one. Uh, if, you're, if you're putting yourself under a budget, you're killing yourself. Like, flesh is dying. Like, I want this. But if you're not putting yourself under a budget, you want to kill yourself. I mean, or, so actually, let me say that backwards. If you're not putting yourself under a budget, you're killing yourself. If you are living according to a budget, you want to kill yourself. Because like, ah, why can't I spend this money the way I want to do it? And really, a budget's just a road map. And many of us are lost financially because we have no map written out. We've got nothing to guide us. We've got nothing to strengthen us, nothing to lead us to the source, the outcome, the X on the treasure map line that we want to get to, so we just run around aimlessly without a map. And many of us are like, well, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how to write on ma- our, my own map, map to get there. I don't know how to do this thing. That's great. Not a problem. We do. And we're here to serve you. We have financial coaching, and we're here to give that away to you free, no charge. Again, I say, why wouldn't you want to be blessed to be a blessing? In fact, in spring, we're having a, tr- a Thrive Tribe that's geared nine weeks strictly, ten weeks strictly towards financial freedom. Mick's going to lead that. He's ready for it. He's excited about it. He's, he wants to see you guys be a blessing and be blessed. We plan to fail when we fail to plan. Without a map, I'm just, you know what, I'm just going at it alone. I'm just going to figure this thing out and see what happens. It's like shooting a rifle in the middle of a field hoping you hit a deer. Is anybody going to do that? No. It's a great tool, and it helps you to make a budget is a great tool, helps you make sound decisions. In fact, it helps you to make decisions that are not emotionally led. <laughs> Allie and I, like I said, Allie and I, we started this thing on the, on the envelope system. And so I get, you, know, you don't have to be the bad guy. Spouse doesn't have to be the bad guy anymore. Mr. Budget gets to be the bad guy. Allie wanted some boots. I remember them. Nice boots, want to go to Cavender. Oh, babe, I really want these boots. You know, just have to have them. Babe, I want you to have those boots. I knew how much money we had in those envelopes, but I could, I could celebrate it all I, all I needed just to make sure this relationship is good. Let's go see what's in the envelope Mr. Budget says. Oh, Mr. Budget says we don't have enough for those boots right now. Shoot, I'm so sorry. Let's wait a little bit longer. I, I kid you not. You don't have to be the bad guy whenever you put somebody else as the master, which is the budget, the stewardship, the map. So you let God be the master of that. Let him show you how to steward, and we'll teach you how to do that. And that way you can be the good guy on all these things, husbands. And it feels really good. I'm sorry. Mr. Budget says no. But we can wait for it, and we can get there. 
<laughs> yeah, my daughter says, don't tell me no, you tell me yes. <laughs> she gave me a little gumdrop yesterday, and she's said, no, 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 don't you tell me no, you take it, you tell me it's good. <laughs> I do not, I'm like, whoo, Lord, I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need some help. Number seven is live well below your means. Live below your means. Exodus 2014, you shall not commit adultery. When you commit adultery, you're living above or beyond God's provision for your life. Think about it. God, you gave me this spouse. Well, I don't want that. I want this one over here. Your provision is this spouse. And it's the same way when we spend money that we do not yet have, we're living beyond the provisions that God has given us to steward in that time. And we're actually, what we actually do is we shake our fist at God saying, God, you are not enough. You are not good enough. And I'm upset with you about the conditions that I'm in right now. And so we take it into our own hands. We grab our plastic card out of here. And we say, I've got money, God. I'll spend my own how I want it, when I want it, and I'll just do it. And then we have to live with that remorse because we're taking it into our own hands. We're deciding we're going to do what we want to do, and we actually commit adultery living beyond our means because most of us can't pay off that card for months and months down the road. For our hearts have gotten away from him. And then Satan can move in, and he begins to pull us away even more so. Philippians 4.11 says this, though, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I guess he got out of Texas for a little while, and he said, well, if I can't get back, I'm just going to learn to be content where I'm at, whatever state I am in. Guys, come on. <laughs> Look at the word learned. He says, Learned. I have learned. He didn't know it. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he wrote a third of the New Testament. He, he's the, like the, the super apostle, right? He's the, the missionary of missionaries, but he had to learn. He had to learn. And you too can learn. It's actually attainable. He had to learn to be content with what he had. And he talked about these words, abased or abound. It didn't matter. I don't care where I'm at. I have learned to be content. I'm learning how to be content because my contentment is not on my finances. My contentment is with God. When he's the right source and he's the one that we get our wholesomeness, our hope, our joy, our everything from, all of a sudden it doesn't matter what our financial situation says. It doesn't matter what our bank account says. It doesn't matter how much we're going to get paid on that Friday. Our, what matters is God is good. He loves me. And as long as I steward well what he's given me, he is going to bless his word and his way. We can trust that. In the meantime, He's teaching us to learn to be content. Learn. Second reason Luke 4, is found in Luke 14, Luke 14, 28, is for which one of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it or not? Here's the second reason people don't want to count. They can't count. You don't count. Now, be honest with you. How many of you, and, and I, just, I can see it all around the room, you were in math class or in some kind of math class throughout high school or elementary and your middle school, and you're like, teacher, I'm never going to use this ever again in my life. Why are you teaching me to do this? Yes, I see it with a shake of a, an agreement all across the board. But you do actually need it, don't you? You, you actually do need to know what 10% of 100 is. <laughs> it actually is helpful from time to time. According to Scripture, you do need to know numbers. You do need, you do need to know how to do some math. And so you actually do need it. And here's, here's the reason. 
some people live above their means, it's because you just don't count. We sit down with people, and they get, they get display, Here, here's how much I make. We, they start talking about their spending in our first financial class, especially that we did two years ago, start talking about their spending, and you see these numbers that keep on going and keep on going, like, you passed that amount, your monthly amount, a long time ago, and he didn't know it. He didn't realize because he just, well, I get some, and then I just start, I spend some. There's no map to it. There's no structure. There's no stewardship. There's no discipline around it. And so they're living beyond God's provision for their life and committing adultery. Let me tell you what happened, though. When we sat down with them and started coaching them, this man actually started saving $1,000 a month. $1,000 a month cutting the weight, cutting the fat, cutting the junk, cutting the, the, just the spending, the spending. And then he started thinking as he didn't even go to this church. He started tithing here, and he didn't even attend this church because of what we did for his family in showing him that he can actually save this amount of money. He learned the blessing of being a blessing, but he learned he had to be a good steward in order to be positioned to be a blessing. Y'all getting this? Y'all awake? All right. Number eight, don't buy now and pay later. Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. It's stealing to spend money you don't have. Did you know that 80% of tax refunds are spent well before they're on credit cards, well before anybody gets them? Well before anybody gets them, they're just swiping. But God has wired you to have hope. He's wired you to look forward to something. It's inside of us. That's why you come to church. You're looking forward to experiencing Him. You're looking forward to something. You, don't, you come expectantly because you're looking forward. You don't know what it is, and so you have this expectation. Romans 8.24 says this, For we, are, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? We swipe that card. We start getting that thing. No longer is it hope anymore. No, no longer are we looking forward to anything. Remember this word, delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. God wired us to look forward to things. He wants you to work, to, to have hope, to have desire, to see forward, to have some kind of passion that thrusts you forward to do the things that you're know you need to do, that you're called to do, that you're purposed to do, so that the outcome will be this thing. He's wired you to be that way. That's why the kingdom is and yet not, it has not come fully. The kingdom is here. He showed us. He taught us all about, all about it, but there's a day that the kingdom will come and reign here. But we're supposed, to, we're supposed to embrace the kingdom. We're supposed to live the kingdom. We're supposed to release the kingdom, but one day the kingdom's going to come. There's hope. There's hope now, and there's hope to come, but we don't, we don't do that anymore. We we want something, so we take that plastic card, swipe it, and then we realize, man, I don't have joy anymore. Now, now I've got to now I spend months and months and months in regret paying for this thing that I'm watching, and I'm no longer really pleased with this thing because it's causing me debt. It's causing me internal struggle, and I'm realizing I didn't steward what God has given me because of this thing on the wall that I watch, and it has become an idol. And by the way, a hope is not a place, it's a person. And the clinical definition of depression is a person who lost hope. Had been able to, to minister to some of our subcontractors and then other people coming through and people I get to talk to and just for privacy purposes, person after person after person going through deep, deep struggles 
because they have no hope and they're depressed. The reason is they put their hope in the wrong things and God was not on that throne. And we, as you begin to talk, it, talk through it with them, they start to realize, wait a minute, every time this thing doesn't work out, I lose everything and I start going this direction. But if God is on the throne, God is the one who gives me joy. God is the one who gives me strength. God is the one who's never changing. God is the one who's consistent, and no matter what I'm going through, he's still going to be steadfast. He's still going to be faithful, and he's still going to see me through every situation that I'm moving through. God will provide when you do things his way. Number nine, be a good witness. Be a good witness. Exodus 20, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God wants us to be a good, a true witness of himself, even to our neighbor. So listen to this. Your neighbors are watching you. They're probably looking over your fence or they're seeing how you live and, and they know you are a follower of Christ. But they're, they're, it's not a good witness when your house is falling apart and you've got a brand new car in the driveway. You're not showing them that you're a good steward of all that God has given you because now you've got this run-down thing and you've got this really nice car and you haven't taken the time to really take care of all that God's given you. And so it's kind of a cross, a cross mix. What do they really believe? What, who do they really serve? What's really going on? And, I, and you might say, well, man, man I've been, been through a tough time, and, I, and I've lost everything. Does that mean I'm, I'm not a good steward? Does that mean I'm being a bad neighbor? Does that mean, mean I'm being a bad witness? No, no absolutely not. Because I can tell you, you can go through very tough times, but you can still have the joy of the Lord in your heart. You can still choose contentment. You can still be a good witness because you're pointing, again, pointing everything back to Jesus, everything back to God. No, I still have my joy. I still have hope in the Lord. I still know who my God is. It's not these things. It's not my bank account. It is the one who is in charge of these things in my bank account. You see the perspective shift. It's got to happen. I had a young man, and I, I'm going to breeze through this. He, I told you about it a couple of weeks ago, and he, he, cried, he, he said, I don't know, Pastor Nathan, how I can tithe whenever I know I'm already in the red at the end of the month when I start the, the beginning of the month. We had a great conversation. He called me. He texted me, actually, a week later or some, somewhere in that week. He said, with, with tears in my eyes, I did it. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's faith right there. <laughs> with tears in my eyes, eyes, I did it. And I texted him. I said, I really believe, or I told him, I can't remember which one it was, one form of communication. I really believe this is going to open the hand of your boss. Now, see, two, two and a half months ago, he and his boss had a conversation, and his boss was going to begin to help him get out of debt, but hadn't heard from him, hadn't heard anything about that in two, and two months, two and a half months. But as soon as he said he did that, I said, this is going to open the hand of your boss, and I want to be the first person to hear, hear that celebration. Well, this Wednesday, he comes in. He's driving a new truck. His boss is paying the insurance on it. He's able to sell his truck. He's already got money in his pocket from not having to pay insurance. We looked up the value of his truck, and it's several thousand dollars more than what he owes on that truck. So already you see money starting to come in, and God is showing his favor on the obedience. You can't afford not to tithe. You're stuck in this thought, I can't afford to tithe. No, you can't afford not to tithe. Man. Number 10, be content. We talked a little bit about it earlier. Exodus 20, 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. If you are content with what God has provided for you, you don't covet what someone else has. Look at this in Colossians, New Testament 3 and 5 says, Therefore, put to death your members. Look at the list we're about to show you, a list that covetousness is in. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, 
and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here's the problem. The reason idolatry, it's idolatry is because whatever you are coveting, you're making an idol out of. And not only that, I want to take it a little further. If you're watching your neighbor and what they have, then you're not only making that item an idol, you're making your neighbor your God. Because of when your neighbor goes and buys a new car, you're not asking God, should you buy a new car? You just go and buy a new car. When your neighbor puts on new drapes on their house, you go and buy new drapes. So now your neighbor has become your God. And now God can no longer teach you how to steward your money because as soon as your neighbor shows you how to steward money, you go and steward it that way. And now that thing is an idol and your neighbor's a God. It's strong. I know it's strong. I know it's strong, but sometimes you've got to have a strong word so that you, we can put things back in perspective to what we really do. We do these things. Don't let somebody else spend your money. Let God show you how to spend his money that you are a steward of. Smithson Jones, if it wasn't real, nobody would say that. Remember, living beyond blessed is living and giving in a way that can be a blessing. Please always remember that. And remember, God blesses generous givers and kingdom stewards. He, he blesses king, giving stewards, generous stewards. He blesses generosity and good stewardship. Now, I told you I was going to give you an opportunity, and we've kind of been building on this. I told you about this pastor who I met with in the beginning of this series. It was really right before we started this series. I had a dream, and that, that Sunday morning before, as I pulled up, I got on Facebook Live, and, and I saw a lot of pastors and ministers, and, and I'm going to use our terms, go team members, but it was, it was a representation of leaders around the, around the church, around, the, around the, the city, and I just saw that God was really beginning to do a work in their heart, but they were going through a really tough time. And the word was, if you just press in through this, I know there's going to be breakthrough on the other side of that. Well, that night I went to one of the, the, the church for Love Thy Neighbor, and I was talking with a, a, a pastor, one of the pastors, he came up and he said, right on. What you said this morning is right on. So I said, well, I'll talk to him, I'll talk to him later. I talked to him after the fact, and he, I said, what, what, what's going on? He began to share his people around him. I said, he said what, let's have lunch this week. So we sat down, we have lunch that, that week, and we start talking about the struggles their church is going through, and they're about to have to refinance their building in May, and they, don't, they just don't have it. This couple has been really supporting the church, and they have a few givers, and so we had this conversation on leading people to steward finances God's way, and he began to get, get it. We, what we, got, we go out to the property, and we're out there talking, and we're praying over it, and I just see kingdom all over this guy. I don't see religion. I don't see my church. I see kingdom on this guy, and the Lord puts it on my heart, and he says, I want you to use this series to not only teach your people about the tithe, but to teach those who have been tithing as well to move beyond the, into the offering phase. And the Lord said, I, I, want you to, I want you to bless it. Everything that comes in on that last Sunday, I want you to give to this church. Every, every, let me rephrase that. Everything of the offering that comes in, I want you to give to this church. So I asked him, I said, how much do you need? He said, well, we have $10,000 that we need to refinance it. And that'll, that'll take us for a good while, and that'll be in May. That won't be until May. I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. 
I feel like the Lord is saying to use this series to teach our people how to be kingdom-minded, how to be good stewards, and we want to bless your church. You have a vision that God has given you for Athens, Texas, and God has given you that vision for a purpose, and we want to be a part of that. Man, he just, you should see a big man cry. I wish I could tell you more of the story, but it's, it, it's his business. And so time passed, and I, I found out that, interestingly, that $10,000 is 10% of what they owe. So that's cool. Uh, not only that, uh, I, I asked him, his team to pray for us, his church to pray for us, because they pray for you. Pray that God will touch your heart and he'll speak to your heart. And not only that, but you'll be obedient, that you'll be a steward for God. And he sent, he sent me this morning, he's the one that sent me the picture of our building. The last picture that you saw of our building was actually a picture. He was out on our property before his church service this morning, sending us a picture of it and praising God for what's going on out there. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. Now, you need to be plugged into church, you need to be ser serving, and you need to give to that church, but you need to be kingdom-minded as well. That's the only way we're going to push back these walls of religion, right? So here, I, I challenged our staff first. I want to bring it to my staff. Staff, here, here's the idea, here's the thought, here's what we're doing. Then we took it to the board. Board, here's the, here's the deal, here's what we're going. And that way, we could grab a number, and we could say, here's the commitment, here's where we're at, and now we're going to bring it to the church and see what God wants to do throughout the church. I want to show you this graphic because some of you need to know how we give. We, we tithe and give offerings through the black box. Now, tithe is 10% of your income. If you have not yet tithed, I want you to test God in the tithe. And if God is putting on your heart to go above the tithe, I want you to be obedient. If you've already tithed, I want you to ask God what he wants you to give because now it's time to give the offering, the above 10%. So you can text to give. You can go to livewithpurpose.church slash give, or you can write a check or give cash, and you can put an envelope in the black box. But here's what we want to do. I want you to position yourself to ask the Lord, and, and, and I want to challenge you. Now, if your heart is angry right now, don't do it. Don't, don't, don't even listen to me anymore right now. You just need to deal, you need to let the Holy Spirit deal with your heart and just be there. So, so blank me out. But if it's not and you feel like this is a Holy Spirit moment, a kingdom moment, what I want to ask you to do is say, Lord, I at least want to give a dollar. But how much do you want me to give? And then just listen to him. And then be obedient with that number because he knows what he wants to do with you, in you, and through you as you are obedient to the number that he gives you. Don't think about yourself right now. Think about kingdom. Think about being a blessing. Think about, God, I can trust you with the outcome no matter what the situation is because you are always on the throne and my bank account numbers don't decide if I have hope or joy or if I'm going to continue to believe you. We got to begin to shift our thinking into kingdom perspective. Now, let me show you how much that our staff and our board has already brought in. 2,800 of the 10,000. That's 28%. And we got another service to go. He owes $107,000. would not it be amazing that we pay off the whole building? <laughs> hey, where's your heart in that? So however you choose to do it, everything in the offering, and when you do, I ask that you put kingdom builders in the memo or on the tab. We have a tab for you in our giving site, kingdom builders tab, the offering, everything above the tithe. 
Because if you haven't tithed it, it's time to start testing God, and you can test God in the tithe. He says, test me now in this. Time to start testing God and having faith in Him in this area of your life. Watch Him move as the other young man has done and many of us have done. But then if you have, or if He's putting on your heart to move beyond and go into the offering, it's, it's just time to be obedient in what He can do through your faith. Kingdom builders, either in the memo, on the envelope, on the tab, whenever you text it, There'll be an option there, but we're going to pray. We're going to ask God, and we're going to listen. We're going to do the number that he's asking you to do about out of faith and out of obedience. Here's the big deal. I believe we, we get nothing out of this, right? We're blessing another church. This is not so that we can put money towards that building, okay? Pastor is not trying to pull money out of your pocket so that he can build a building, you need to hear that because some of you are thinking it already. We're asking you to be obedient to what God is saying so that we can bless another church in this town and become kingdom-minded. Here's what's going to happen. I gave him a stipulation, and I said this. We'll only do it if you do this one thing, which he fully agreed to. You keep this money for your church. My heart is that you use this as the refinance fee, the refinance amount, down payment. Absolutely, absolutely. But you choose to do what you want to with it, but you can't give it away. You can't give it away for benevolence even. You keep this for your church because your church needs it in this season. Now, in your time, I do want you to ask God, what is it that you can do for another church in Athens, Texas? And you go interview that pastor and make sure he'll do the same. But I want you to pray to God and ask him, what can I do sacrificially, painfully, that's going to make my forehead bead sweat a little bit in nervousness? And then you go and you do that for that pastor who will do the same thing for another church, who will do the same thing for another church, and who will do the same thing for another church. I believe this is seed money to see the kingdom of God begin to thrive in Athens, Texas, and you'll watch the walls of religion come down, and it'll start to pop up those who have religion in their hearts. There's going to be a clear difference from between the wheat and the tares so that when Jesus returns, it's not going to be hard. And it's going to challenge the hearts of many believers and many leaders in this town. But we got to do our part. And we got to love them. And we got to give them the truth. And we got to be here to serve them because the greatest in the kingdom is a servant of all, isn't it? So in this time, I want you to just think about that imaginary dollar. Lord, I, Jesus, help me with my heart. Holy Spirit, I at least want to give a dollar. But how much do you say? When he puts that number on your heart, the best thing you can do is agree with him because he knows the outcome. And right where you are, if you need an envelope, Rick's back there. He'll bring you an envelope. If you want to get an envelope later, that's cool too. Just put your arm up, put your hand up. He'll come to you. You want to get your phone out? You can actually get your phone out during prayer. I'd get, hug my wife, hug my spouse and say, Lord, we need this. We need to come through. We need you to come through in this situation. But we want to be obedient to the faith. This is, you can actually text during prayer now.
you haven't tithed, it's time to start testing God in the tithe. And you haven't moved your faith into offering, it's time to start giving an offering. It's time to start listening to the Holy Spirit. Because there's way more that He wants to do in you and through you than just use you for money and monetary things to bless the others in the kingdom. This is just the beginning of everything that He wants to do through you. But if we won't listen to Him here, His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. And we have pushed back a spirit of religion all throughout this series. Man, I fought a battle that first week in this series to get us here. And I'm telling you, those of you who are grabbing a hold of this understanding of being a blessing rather than just being blessed, you're going to see breakthrough in your life. You're going to see breakthrough for your family. I don't say that out of arrogance. I say that out of, I know my God. I know my Father. And he tells me, you who being wicked gives good gifts, how much more will the Father above give gifts to those who ask? And wow, what he can do through the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for teaching us how to be good stewards. Thank you for watching over us. Holy Spirit, we agree with you. We want to do this your way. We want to be good stewards of what belongs to you. And we know that you are the gift that keeps on giving. And we know our Father in heaven gives good gifts. And we know Christ broke ground in all of this to lead us in the way to be a blessing. Get that last song. This is an act of worship. You've got to understand, when we give, it is out of obedience. It is an act of worship. We're saying, God, you are on the throne. You are master of my finances. You are Lord of my life. I will no longer serve mammon. Mammon, I will not listen to your voice any longer. No longer will I covet what my neighbor has. No longer will I place an idol before my God. No longer will I let mammon decide and dictate how my joy is, the hope that I have in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No longer. Let us stand up 
worship a God because He is good. We worship Him in giving. We worship Him with our hands raised. We worship in the heart of obedience. We worship His way because He gets to choose how we live this life here on earth. That's how we see the kingdom come. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We can't proclaim these words without living out His words. We can't proclaim His prayers without submitting to His prayers. So let's just give our praise unto the Lord.